It's good to be with all of you. My name is Pastor Joseph Bianco, uh, Assistant Pastor of City Reformed. I want to welcome you in the name of Christ. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, if you're new here, um, feel welcome to stay afterwards. We have a time of Grill the Preacher, so that's different than the morning service. It's an opportunity to ask me questions about the text that I'm going to preach on. The reality is, is I'm not going to be able to cover everything. In fact, if you haven't noticed this, any good preacher will never be able to cover, every, cover everything in the text. So we have this opportunity after the service for you to come and ask questions. It's going to be in the corner office over there. Uh, we've been preaching through Second Peter. Uh, we're today moving into chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. It's our custom here that I will read this word, and then I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond, thanks be to God. But for now, hear the word of the Lord, page 6 of your bullets in Second Peter, chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all these things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, this is uh, your word, and it's a good word to us, uh, though a hard word. Father, we pray that you would impress it deep upon us, into our hearts, Lord, that we would see uh, the goodness in it for us and for our salvation. Lord, that we would believe unto it. Lord, that it would cause us to grow in greater trust and love of you and love of our neighbor. Lord, I pray that you would even use... Uh, my weakness, Lord, to preach this word with the power and the strength with, with which you have provided it. Lord, be present with us. Work by the power of your spirit. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, before we dive into this text today, as I was thinking about an illustration, I realized that the best illustration for this text is not an illustration at all, but just an observation I want to share with you. Uh, about something I notice about our modern society. And I don't know if you've noticed lately, um, but politics has been an increasingly hot topic. Now you may say to me, 
Well, politics, religion, they're two of the things that we're always told not to talk about at the dinner table. But I would argue that it is a hotter topic now than even five, ten years ago when you were told not to talk about it at the dinner table. Why? What happened? What changed in the last five to ten years? Many Christian leaders argue that we have entered into what they call a post-Christian age in America. That means that no longer are Christians, that is true Bible-believing Christians, the majority in our culture. We have slid into the minority. Um, Now that's not to discount, by the way, that Christianity in the whole and the whole of the world still continues to grow. But the law of give and take says that when one thing gives, the other takes. So something has replaced religion in the lives of Americans. And do you know what it is? It's politics. Now, in many ways, it always has been politics, but it's growing for many people. Politics has become religion to secular Americans. If you can't hope that God will really work in our lives and in our country, where else will you turn other than the people who have the most power in America? The governors, the senators, the presidents. Now, I'm just making an observation here. I'm not making political statements. I'm saying this is what I notice. This is what I've seen change in the past five to ten years. What does this have to do with our text? It actually has everything to do with our text. You see that although for some people politics has become their God, their concerns are still legitimate. They're very legitimate. All of us deep down have a concern for justice. We all have a concern for justice, for right and wrong, and what we believe will get us to that point. Where will we get justice? You see, every man, Christian or non-Christian, will at some point in their life put themselves in the judge's seat. That we think we know what is just. That we think we can tell what is right. I want you to think back in your minds, probably even today you have made some judgment about what you think is just or right, even if it's a small thing. In our text today, the day of the Lord is that answer for justice. The day of the Lord is where judgment for justice will rain down as God has promised it all throughout Scripture. It's an important theme in the whole Bible, and Peter thinks that it is important for us to know. Beloved, he calls his listeners, the Lord will come to judge. So I want to walk us through three things today. First of all, what is the day of the Lord? So we know. Why should you believe in the day of the Lord? And how do we respond to the day of the Lord? So first, what is the day of the Lord? So the first thing is what Peter says is the first thing. We must remember that the Lord is coming. That there will be a day when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And Peter says, verse 2, Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. If I could summarize Peter, remember the whole Bible speaks about the day of the Lord. The major 
the minor prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, Jesus in the Gospel, all talk about the day of the Lord. Remember that the whole story of the Bible is left without an ending if there is not restoration, if there is not a day of judgment, of justice. What if you are here and you don't know the main story of the Bible? What if you're biblically illiterate? I will tell you the summarization of the Bible in four words. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created all things. Mankind fell into sin. He went to save his people to redeem them through Jesus. And he will come again to judge and restore his creation. It's a day worth remembering. Do not forget, says Peter. Second, what is the day of the Lord? I want to be sensitive to people in the rooms here who are scratching their heads thinking, I've heard this term before, but I don't know what it is. I think the closest I can get you to is to remember the Nicene Creed. I know it's strange. Let's reference something more obscure to explain something obscure, but... Uh, You know, a creed is a statement of core beliefs. And you may not know the Nicene Creed by name, but I bet you will recognize it if I start reciting it. It goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Sound familiar? Then later down, he suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. It's familiar. So see, there it is. A core belief That scripture is fulfilled in Christ. That there are prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Christ. Then if you go a little further down in the creed. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. There it is. A creed said by Christians for nearly 2,000 years. That we all agree Jesus is coming back to judge, to set all things right. That's the third thing I wanted you to know. The day of the Lord is not just a day of judgment. It's a day of justice. God isn't coming to be judgmental. He's not coming to make fun of you or to point out everything that's wrong in you. He's coming to bring justice. The text says, verse 7, to destroy the ungodly. Now, I'll get into that category of ungodly at the end of the sermon, but for now, know that God is going to deal with evil. And that's a really good thing. It's a thing we all long for and hope for. Fourth, all works will be exposed. That means everything hidden, everything that ever happened of all time will come out. All the hidden and secret things, the thoughts of our hearts in our minds, our motivations will be laid naked. Fifth, on the day of the Lord, there will be a purging by fire. The text says, verse 7, the heavens and the earth are stored up for fire. Verse 10, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Now, I want you to notice that it does not say the earth will be burned up, but that there will be a dissolving or a burning away, a purifying of fire that will happen. The best analogy I can give you for this uh, is um, a forest fire. So did you know 
that sometimes a forest fire is actually good for an ecosystem. Uh, it provides an opportunity to rid that system of possible disease or pestilence so the system can restore itself. So God is not destroying all things by fire, at least not the earth. Perhaps another good illustration we have is from Revelation, where uh, Revelation says that the sky will roll up like a scroll. Heavenly bodies is not, uh, in verse 10, bodies. These are not human bodies that are burning up in the sky. Heavenly bodies means anything up there above us. It could be stars or planets, clouds. We use the term, actually, if you think body of water. We're not thinking about a bunch of bodies floating around in water. So heavenly bodies, bodies of water. Sixth and lastly, it will come like a thief in the night. You won't know it. You won't expect it. But all of a sudden, there it is. Now, everything I just told you about the day of the Lord is here in this passage. But there is a lot more about the day of the Lord throughout the rest of Scripture. But for the sake of uh, our sermon and to remain faithful to Peter's words here, we're just going to address those things. Let me ask you, what do you think about the day of the Lord? It's a bit scary, isn't it? Maybe you didn't think about Jesus this way. Maybe you like to remember Jesus the way he came into the world, which is still true of who he is. Humble, meek, mild. And we forget the way that he will return to the world. That when he comes, the stars in the sky will move in his presence. That space and time will rip. That planets will burn up. That is heavy. And it's a bit scary. Maybe this is the first time you link the day of the Lord with justice. There's a point to the judgment And that point is that he is restoring. That's what verses 8 to 10 are about. God saving. God restoring. And maybe this is all new to you and you think I sound crazy. Uh, I want you to hang on with me for my second point, which is why you should believe in the day of the Lord. So the first reason you should believe in the day of the Lord is because Jesus says it. The apostles say it. The Old Testament says it. If you believe in God's word... He tells you he is going to do something, he will do it. But second, I want you to look at this argument that Peter makes in verses 3 to 7. Peter says there will be scoffers who laugh at this idea. It's one of the reasons I want to show you why believing in the day of the Lord is not just reasonable, but it's sensible. These scoffers scoff. They laugh without actually considering the possibility that the day of the Lord could be true. There's a quick warning to us here to be very careful how we judge. To be very careful how we judge. That's what scoffing is. It's laughing, making judgments about what you think is silly. And Peter shows us these people will laugh at you because you believe in the day of the Lord. Now he gives us an argument in verse 5. It says, they deliberately overlook this fact. They deliberately overlook this fact. The wording in Greek is is they actually intentionally forget. They choose to not even entertain the idea that God, an all-powerful, all-wise spirit, created everything. If you're a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, you may call it intelligent design. You may call it 
an intentional creation, but what you cannot call it is the Big Bang. Peter, in his argument here, is saying, God created by his word the waters of the earth, and he formed the earth. In the same way, God destroyed the people of the earth with a great flood, a deluge, that we remember back to the story of Noah, with the same water with which he created. So then, verse 7, if God created and destroyed in the past, what makes you think that he doesn't have the power to do it again? Verse 7, it says, by the same word, that the day of judgment is coming. The scoffer's argument in verse 4 is that because I can't see the change, it doesn't exist. Because I can't see it, it doesn't exist. If it's not observable, it doesn't exist. Because all things continue as they are from the beginning, says the scoffers. That I can't believe in something that could be this radical, that it could happen. You know, at the end of the day, what it comes down to for us is a question of miracles. A miracle is God working outside ordinary events. That means God can create the earth, and he can set the earth on an ordinary course for millions of years, and everything can seem normal for millions of years, but then one day, God can choose to act in a radical way. Here's the lesson from Peter. Do not think that the ordinary negates the extraordinary. Do not think that the ordinary negates the extraordinary. God is more dangerous than you realize. But let's say for a moment you aren't certain this is God's word. Why does the day of the Lord actually make sense? Well, it's the only argument that reasonably deals with the question of justice. Maybe you haven't thought about this before, but I bet you actually have subconsciously, and you might not even have known it. We all have a sense of justice, right and wrong, fair from unfair. Uh, When we're children, we have a sense of justice when our brother hits us. Maybe you were that child. We have a sense of justice, and no one had to teach you that when you were a kid. Our culture right now cares a lot about justice. People are screaming for justice. Sometimes they're screaming for the right things. Sometimes they're screaming for the wrong things. But they care and they want justice. And the desire to have justice is a right thing. But let me ask you, how do you decide what is just? How do you make a decision about what is right and what is wrong? Do you even really have the power to bring justice about? So I want to go straight for the throat with a thought experiment with you. Someone kills the person closest to you. This is a thought experiment. Can you really have justice? Maybe you say yes. Maybe you say perfect justice would be for the person who killed the person closest to me for the murderer to die. But you would be wrong. Then you just have two dead people. And that's not justice. Perfect justice would actually pay you back entirely to the point where you are satisfied that your friend has died. The only truly just thing 
would be to reverse death. That would be the only just thing that we could do. To not just bring back your friend from from death, but to punish the evildoer for killing him in the first place. Can you do that? Can you bring about that kind of justice? No. None of us can. Remember, the day of the Lord is when God will come and judge the living and the dead. It actually makes sense. Okay, so if I made you curious, how might you respond to the idea of the day of the Lord? This is my third point. If we look at verse 5 and verse 8, Peter is comparing two types of people for you. Verse 5, he says, scoffers overlook this one fact. In verse 8, he says, beloved, don't overlook this one fact. It's the exact same wording in the same verb in Greek. What is that fact? Verses 8 to 10, God will judge what he thinks is right, and he will judge it in his time. He says, a a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, that God isn't slow in bringing about justice. He's patient towards you. It's a really nice way of saying to us, get your behind off the throne of God's judgment seat. And that's it, isn't it? Whether you're a Christian or not, we put ourselves in His judgment seat. God who created all things and say, this is how I think you should judge God. Let me tell you what is just. And that's why Peter is reorienting us here, remembering that God does not work the way that you and I work. To God, a thousand years has passed today. He works differently than we work, which means also He sees and He can give justice rightly in ways that we cannot. He's actually able to judge because He's the one who created. And that's what Peter's connecting this, these words of creation. So recently I made a little in-between table out of oak. I call it an in-between table because it goes between two chairs in my living room. And I'm I'm fairly proud of it. It has no uh, nails or screws in it. My wife, when she saw it, loved it. And I'll be honest, it felt good to have your wife uh, proud of what you made. But I'll tell you what, she did not see it the way that I saw that table. I saw all the imperfections that I made in that table. I know the hidden parts. I know the, peop- the parts that I broke in the process and had to glue back together, which are hidden. Uh, I know that the top of the table is about five millimeters uh, more on the left side than it is on the right side. But if you looked at it, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know, even if you took it closely and examined it with your eyes, if you turned it around in your hands, you would not know the flaws that I know. The only person who has the right to judge the creation best is the Creator. Now, here's the good news. You who would judge God and say, why doesn't God judge my way? I would set everything right if I was all-powerful. Verse 9, God is not slow 
He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What if you who judge God, what if God made a just way for you to be spared in the day of the Lord? What if the way he made was repentance? What if these last days, these, this theological term for the days we're in, the time between the death of Jesus and his second coming, what if all the horrible things that happened in those days is not the injustice of God, but a result of our own sin? And God is patient with you, with me, waiting for humanity to repent. What if you stopped pointing the finger at God and you started pointing the finger at yourself? What if we saw ourselves from God's eyes? I want to go back just to, for a minute to this furniture illustration. Maybe you think of yourself as an elegant oak high boy. Maybe a mahogany buffet table. Maybe you are more a live-edge dining room table. You know you have some flaws, you know you have some nicks, you know you have some scratches, but in your eyes, you're okay. You're a pretty good piece of furniture. But you did not create you. What if what you think are scratches are breaks that are unfixable? What if what you think are flaws are worms that have eaten you from the inside out? What if the nicks that you see are wounds that have left you to die? The only problem is you can't see it. You can't see your own flaws. Neither can I. We cannot save ourselves. Only the Creator can save you. And the good news is He has made a way to save you. God satisfied justice for you. You see, He saw you. He looked at you. He judged you. And he decided you could not be fixed. You were broken beyond repair. To mix my analogies, you did not have just a broken heart. You had a heart of stone. We aren't just broken because life is hard. Our sin destroys us. And he had to come and replace that stony heart with a heart of flesh. But in order... The justice was satisfied. Someone had to give you that heart. Someone had to pay the cost of restoration so that on that day, when you stand before God on the day of the Lord, He won't just be gracious and let you live. He will actually restore you to what you ought to be. The day of the Lord is not just the day of judgment. It is the day of restoration. For Christians, it will be the best day of your life. All the hurts, all the wrongs made right, all the injustices given justice, all the pain and evil washed away. Do you believe in the day of the Lord? Do you believe that God will bring justice through Jesus? Do you believe He has offered a way of grace and mercy through His Son? How will you respond? I'm going to give us two ways to close tonight. If you're a Christian, this kind of grace that you have received 
should move you to be gracious. Here in the text, God has chosen to be patient for at least since Christ has come 2,000 years now. And it could be 2,000 more. It could be 200,000 more. It could be this evening. But if God is patient, will you be patient? If God was this gracious to you, if God waited on you, patient in dealing with your sin and continues to, will you be patient with others? With your spouse, with your children, with your friend, with your coworker? When I meditated on this, on the patience of God, it cut me to the heart because I realized how long the Lord had been patient for me. I've recognized my great failure in my own patience. Now, I have seen the Lord work greater patience in me over my Christian walk, and for that I can rejoice in what He has done. How about you? Have you grown in patience as you have reflected on what the Lord has done for you? Or do you expect everyone to change the first time that you ask them? Here's a good rubric for you. If you are worried that you are not being strong-handed enough with someone, not hard enough, not quick enough, I want you to think back to this passage and think how God has been patient with you in your sin. And that should center you to see how you be patient with other people. Now, if you're not a Christian, the application is pretty clear in this passage. Do not presume upon the patience of God. Don't wait to repent. The day of the Lord, he says, will come like a thief in the night. This could be the day. This could be the evening. If today is the first day you understood the grace and the forgiveness of God, do not let anything stop you even now. You can pray and receive the grace that the Lord has offered to you in your heart and ask Him to save you and His promises. He will. Repent and believe in the Lord. Let's pray.